The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, Lord. On the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning, while it was still dark, and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and told them, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb first. He bent down and saw the burial cloths there, but did not go in. When Simon Peter arrived after him, he went into the tomb and saw the burial cloths there, and the cloth that had covered his head, not with the burial cloths, but rolled up in a separate place. Then the other disciples also went in, the one who had arrived at the tomb first, and he saw and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, once again, happy Easter, everyone. So, I didn't really wisely reflect on this story I'm about to tell you, realizing that my parents are actually here today. So there is, there is potential that my mom's hearing this for the first time, and I usually preserve such stories from her ears. So mom and dad, can you raise your hand so people know that you're here, just in case you see <laughs> So if you're anything like me, many of the things you've learned in your life are throughout your own stupidity. And um, as you learn these things, you grow, right, from these situations. So many years ago, I, when I lived in Colorado, I went to a, an ice climbing area called Ure, Colorado. If you've ever been to Ure, they sometimes call it the Switzerland of Colorado. It's like very craggy peaks, and Ure is like nestled right amongst all of these, these climbs. And there's a gorge there called the Yucumpadre Gorge. And so it's a huge, huge river gorge, and, and the walls are very, very tall around it. And so there is a pipeline that runs across the top of the gorge. But every once in a while, that pipeline would actually start leaking, and it would form like ice curtains over the gorge, on the wall of the gorge. And as a result of that, of course, you know, climbers, as they are, see this, and they're like, we can climb that. And so what they start doing is they start climbing these flows that are coming out of the pipeline. And then, of course, because they're in, you know, their ingenuity kind of gets the best of them right there, they're like, you know what we can do is we can like, tap into the pipeline and put like, shower heads and like, water the gorge and make even more ice. Sometimes they call it ice farming. And so you know, they started to do this. And you would think that the landowners would get angry and like, kick them out. But no, instead, they saw how many people were actually coming to this small town of Ure, and it was boosting the economy. So what did they do? Instead, they started to lease it to this climbers coalition for $1 a year, which they still do to this day for ice climbers to come there. And now the whole entire gorge is watered with ice, with this whole system of shower heads and things like that that makes it like an ice climbing mecca of the world. And so there I was at the ice climbing mecca of the world. And there is these little breaks in the ridge that help you get down. And so there's some fixed lines. So these are not like the vertical ice climbing sections, but shorter sections. 
and they put these fixed ropes there, and you kind of have to like Batman your way down, like you know the old school Batman just going down the rope, but it's nothing hazardous at that point. You just kind of get down to the bottom of the cliff, and then you're on, on, the, on the, the side of the river, right? But it's a Colorado rough river, so some of it's frozen, sometimes there's rocks, there's snow. It's very variable down there in the gorge. And so we're hiking our, along our way to get to the base of the ice climb. And I'm with one of my climbing mentors, Jim, and then another friend named Doug. And Doug is walking right ahead of me. And as we're walking, he's, he's like right ahead of me, like just right here. And he starts walking and then immediately just crack, like the ice breaks right beneath his feet. And of course, the water's flowing. So he falls in, and I fall in right after him. But my backpack, you know, catches on the ice and the rock behind me. And so he's sort of like laying on top of me, and I'm like, and our, my backpack is kind of holding us at that moment. And so, you know, of course, initially, you know, you just panic. It's like the water is cold. And I didn't quite panic yet until I started feeling water go, like super cold water go into my boots. For some reason, there's just that mentality that if your feet get wet, that like that's a bad situation. So as soon as I started to feel that, I started to like worry a little bit. And so we figured out our way, I'm kind of holding on to him, and then like we flop our way out onto the ice to spread our weight out and kind of like waddle our way off into a safer area, and we get out. Now I'm standing there, and if any of you have ever had like wet clothes in a really freezing temperature, then they freeze like with the folds in them. So it's like you move your garment, and it's just like it's just frozen. And so, but there was so much adrenaline going, and we still had to kind of get out a little bit. So we get to the base of a climb, and we're like, well, what do we, what do we do? You know, do we go home, or do we keep climbing, or like, what, what should we do? And so we're like, well, I'm shockingly not that cold. Like, maybe we should just climb. Maybe that's the best thing that we could do. And so even though my socks are wet and my, my, I'm wet from the rib cage down, we actually decided to climb, and we kept climbing. And now, what this reminded me of is, like, moments like this in your life, you ask yourself, why am I here, and why did I do this, <laughs> you know? And, you know, it's a fun story now that I'm dry and warm, and I can tell it all to you. But at the time, of course, it wasn't all that fun. And what I learned at that moment is there's a famous climbing book, and I mentioned it to everybody recently, but I'm sure not everybody was there at that homily. It's called Conquistadors of the Useless. And so it's about a lot of the early climbing in the Alps. And what's a conquistador? A conqueror. Conquistadors of the Useless. And so at that moment, I'm like, why am I doing this? And what am I doing here, right? Fast forward to many years later, and I was with one of my friends who is also a very good rock climber, and she said she's going to move to, to Bend. And, you know, why does anybody move to Bend if you're a climber? You're like, because Smith Rock is like a mecca of rock climbing, and you're going to move to Bend or to Redmond so that you can rock climb at Smith all the time. And so I was like, okay, that's great. And I was like, well, so what's next? And she was like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to get as strong as I possibly can. And I was like, and then what's next? And then it's just like silence. And it was moments like this, moments like this, that I'm like, what's next? And that's what I want to talk to everybody about today. In the face of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, what's next? The important thing 
is that we want that to be the backdrop of our life. So in that moment that I realized this, now I, I lift weights in my, my friend Bobby's garage gym, and so he gets to hear me preach a lot more than you guys do, because you know, of course, we're just lifting together and I start talking about these things. But this is one of my favorite things, apparently, that I talked about that, that, that he brings up often. And it's what I call what's next theology. So here's the thing, especially if you have any young people in your house. I want you guys to remember this, okay? Remember it forever. And, so, and I mean that, I mean that literally. So here's the thing. Every one of us have to ask this question, but especially those that are younger, younger than us. You have to ask the question, what's next? Maybe, maybe it's somebody who's in high school right now, and maybe they're like a senior or somewhere down, down the road in high school. So what's next? It's like, well, you know, okay, like I applied to this college and I'd like to go to this college, I think. Okay, that's great. You know, what's next? Well, you know, I'm studying this, so maybe I'll get a job in that particular field. Okay, what's next? Well, I'd like to meet, you know, a lovely person and get married. Okay, what's next? And you see where this is leading. You're going to have to play this game until you get to a very definitive point. And this is not meant to be dark or anything like that, but you're going to have to get to the end of a person's life. That's how far we have to ask this question, what's next? And then when we get to the very end of somebody's life, you say, what's next? And it's as silent as it was when probably Peter and John came to that tomb. What's next? The backdrop of our life is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us numerous times throughout his whole ministry and just recently in the Passion that we heard on Friday. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And so just like me running around to go climbing ice and rock and mountains and whatever the heck that it was, those things are kind of transformed now. When I go climbing with one of my friends now, of course, sometimes I lament the fact that I'm not as strong as I once was. You know, at 42, I'm not really getting much stronger. And just like my one friend, that's why I asked, what's next? I was like, okay, so get as strong as you can. How long is that going to last? And so we have to ask ourselves with everything that's in our life, how long is that going to last? And we need to start putting our eggs into the basket to the thing that lasts eternally. The resurrection of Christ is the promise to all of us who are in Christ. The whole entire first letter that we heard from the Acts of the Apostles, from St. Paul, that whole letter just describes to us that all of these apostles are there, chosen as witnesses. So there's a few hundred people that were chosen to see these things, to see Jesus actually die on the cross, to witness that with their own eyes. But then, to witness him walking and talking and eating with people for 40 days, not just the 12, but hundreds of the close disciples at that time, witness this. And it changes their entire life. So that the backdrop of their life is not some hobby or a career or money or a relationship or anything that is solely existent on this earth. But the backdrop of their life is that, where is my proper place? It's to be with God in heaven someday. And that I need to spend more time orient orienting myself towards that reality. More time. You know, that's why we're here in this church. And what's the thing that we can do every day? You know, it's, it's our personal prayer, the, the life that we build in getting to know Jesus that transform us from those moments where we're sort of chasing something 
that has a very sharp end to it. We need to be chasing our Lord Jesus Christ, our, our real home, not the things that we have in this world. Like I said, that transformed things for me so that I can still do these things. I still enjoy climbing sometime. But you know what? It's sort of like, well, if I don't do something or if I can't, somebody's like, well, why don't you try that? I was just like, oh, that's got like a two-finger pocket and it'll hurt my finger. It's not worth hurting my hands. You know, and it's just like, because what I do here at the altar is more important what I do there. So I'm still able to do the thing. But the lesson that I learned from that thing now is more about perseverance, about grit, about determination to get to that place where we rightfully belong with our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. I shared this um, a few days ago on, on Holy Thursday when we celebrated the institution of the Eucharist, the holy priesthood of Christ, and also that example he gave to us all. He washed the, the feet of the disciples and he says, I give you example. Go and do likewise to serve one another, to help one another in this life. And so this is from a book called Christend From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. It's a short, a short little book, but an amazing, amazing read. And so this is the context, right? So now Christ is risen. He's going to be with them for 40 days. And then he's going to ascend into heaven and send the Holy, Apostles, the, the Holy Spirit on the apostles and our blessed mother Mary. And this is the situation that they're in. This book puts it like this. Well, let, let me preface that with one, with one thing. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was speaking with, with a fighter pilot, an F-15 fighter pilot, and I was asking him if something was possible on top of an, another situation. And then he said, Father Peter, where there's a will, there's a way. And then I would just replace it and say this, make that God's will. If you make that God's will, if you let go of your own, then there's certainly a way, because you'll always be in Christ. So remember this moment. One can imagine them gathering for their first evangelization committee meeting, okay? Our agenda, to bring the gospel of Christ to the world. Our resources, bishops, 11. Priests, same number. Deacons, none. Trained theologians, none. Religious orders, none. Seminarians, none. Seminaries, none. Christian believers, a few hundred. Countries with Christians in them, one. Church buildings, none. Schools and universities, none. Written gospels, none. Money, very little. Experience in foreign ministries, None. Influential contacts in high places, next to none. Societal attitude towards us, ignorant to hostile. That is how our church started. From the death of one man with next to nothing. One of the only things that still remains these days might be the last one. People's attitude towards us as Christians sometimes ignorant or hostile to some extent. One of the things that we have to realize is that without, with nearly nothing but the Holy Spirit of God, all of these believers change the world, this small company of believers. The thing that we read at every Mass, 
especially on Sunday Mass. This book of the Gospels, all those people for over 2,000 years died to give this to us. It was so powerful what they experienced in watching Christ die and rise from the dead that they passed this message on to us so that we can pass it on to other people. So we always have to ask ourselves that question, what's next? And then the answer shouldn't be this or this or this or this. Eventually, we'll just be able to say, what's next? To be with God in heaven, to be resurrected with him. If that is the backdrop of our life, you will always be in Christ. You'll always be able to do some of the things that give us joy and happiness in this life, but you'll never have a great attachment to them because you'll be firmly rooted in that reality, to be with Christ in heaven. God bless you all. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.